When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to the Edmonton Journal's Oilers podcast, the Puck Drop Edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell, and I'm the Journal Sports Editor, and it is Wednesday, October 7th. With me today to preview the start of the regular season are the Journal's hockey writer, Jim Matheson. Hello. And columnist, John McKinnon. Great day to talk hockey. It is a fantastic day again to talk hockey. Joanne Ireland is on the road to St. Louis, where the Oilers will be playing their first game of the season, and we hope she can join us again next week to fill us in on that. But John, Jim, we are here, and it feels like we've been waiting forever for the start of this regular season to begin. It's finally here. Both of you are veteran hockey writers. How are you feeling at the start of this season about the Oilers and what we're going to see? See, when you don't make the playoffs, this is why it feels like we've been waiting forever, because the season carries on another two months while the Oilers and all their fans and writers, you know, it's no, it's okay for Jim. He just hits the golf course. But, you know, for those of us who really want to follow the hockey, we're just waiting and waiting. And now it's here. It's, I feel good, personally. Yeah, I feel good, Jim. How are you feeling about the start of this season compared to seasons past? I don't know how to feel. Uh, they start with three straight road games. That's the first time since 1986-87 they've started with three straight road games. Hmm. And... That was back in the glory days. So usually the owners don't get off to a very good start, and they're playing against teams from the toughest division in the NHL. Five of the teams from the Central Division made the playoffs last year, uh, including the St. Louis Blues. They play them twice in the first four games, kick off the season in St. Louis where they've lost six in a row, usually get beat up physically and on the scoreboard. And then Nashville got 100 points last year, and Dallas barely missed the playoffs. Uh, before the home opener against St. Louis again. So it's not a very good, uh, you know, in terms of opponent uh, start for the Oilers. But then when you're where the Oilers are in the standings, any team they're playing is probably better than they are going, you know, going into the season because they all finish with higher point totals than the Oilers did last year. I thought you guys would be so much more excited. I mean, isn't this a season that we're supposed to turn everything around? Conservative. We've got Connor McDavid. No, conservative. We're conservative. The the, the start is, is, it's not just the, the, they have five of their first six games on the road. The first month is a very difficult month. Um, But that's not the end of the world. Now, uh, in recent times, they've had, very difficult time in their first uh, two years ago where they won what for the first 20 games and uh, that was declared the perfect storm by a general manager at the time Craig McTavish and they had injuries and they had various other things but basically by the first of November they were history in terms of having any semblance of a playoff it was a depressing chance. year yes last year was not terribly much better this year they have a revamped roster um, and the good news is they're gonna see uh, quickly you know where the holes are, where the gaps are, who is ready and who's not ready. They're going to see it quickly. Uh, if you believe that they have upgraded, for example, in goal with Cam Talbot on defense with uh, Griffin Reinhardt and and uh, Andre uh, Sekera and uh, so forth, and and older kind of presumably more mature Oscar Kleffbaum and Justin Schultz. Um, 
if, if they p- perform better, and, and they have, I think, they start the season with four uh, pretty good lines on paper. So we'll see if they can um, if they can get a decent a decent start for them is going to be somewhere in the area of five hundred. You know, win mm-hmm. one, lose one. I right. would suggest would be would be not too bad. Um, then, but but if they get a tough start. Um, as I believe Jim's alluded to in a, in a recent piece, then they go right back into this, you know, the fans will be grumpy and the players will be kind of doubting themselves and it, go, it becomes a spiral. I, I don't think they're going to replicate that, but we'll see. Right. At the start of the preseason, there were a lot of questions that we had to answer, as you as you pointed to, John, goaltending, that, that sort of thing. So let's look at a few of them and how they've been answered. Today, we got answers to one of those questions, the team captain's job. There was breaking news on that front. Jim, can you tell us what the Oilers did with regards to that? Well, I think it was a not a very well-kept secret. I think for months we've been figuring that Andrew Ference would not have the C again, and he is not. He gave it up in in concert with the coach and the general manager after talking about it over the summer. And if he's not going to be a regular defenseman this year in the lineup every game, it's tough to be the captain when you're sitting in the press box. So right. So they'll go with alternate captains, four, oh. rather than hand it off to somebody else. Who, who did they name <clears> as the they four? Na- they named Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly, who were assistant captains already. Ryan Nugent Hopkins now gets an A, and Ference, Andrew Ference, of course, um, gets an A. You know, you can't have the guy take the C off his chest and then just say he's one of the players again. He, he's, he's getting an A as well. Right. And Matt Hendricks will fill in as long as Jordan Everly's out with his separated shoulder. So the Oilers will be one of two teams in the league without a captain this year to start the season. Uh, New Jersey is the other team, and I believe it's the first time in Oiler history they've ever started a season without a captain. Uh, that goes back to 1979. They've always had a captain short of trading the captain during the season and there was a vacuum for a while before they named a new captain to start the next season but I think this is the first time in their NHL history they would have started a season without a captain and you know maybe you don't need a captain I don't know necessarily what a captain does it's only hockey where we care who the captains are you know I wouldn't know the captains on a baseball team if there are any uh, or a basketball team and the only time I know the captains in football is when there's a coin toss at at you know midfield before starting a game and or overtime so but captains in hockey are pretty important uh and have been for the Oilers because you know several hall of famers uh were the C for the Oilers and you know um usually the best player uh on your team is the captain and Andrew Ferentz as he alluded to this morning has never been the best player on his team so by letting some other guys wear the C who are perceived to be better players than him maybe one of those players steps up or Connor McDavid in a couple of years and the coach Todd McClellan bristled at that suggestion today that you know why he should even be in the conversation but I think two years down the road if he's if his star power is such that he's Sidney Crosby-esque as Sidney was when he first came into the league and captain at 20 I see no reason why you're right about captain being an oddly big deal in hockey. I remember as a kid knowing, I mean, I knew who Lee Foglin was because he was the Oilers captain and that was a big deal. But John, what do you think about their strategy to go with these four alternate captains or, you know, five, if you throw Matt Hendricks into the mix? Well, they have a new GM, they have a new head coach and they want a new leadership group. The circumstances are changing. They, they want some of their young players to take on more responsibility. I think the captaincy issue is largely ceremonial 
And there are times when the captain is and has been historically on a variety of teams a um, really a, a galvanizing force in the locker room, handling a whole range of things, you know, kind of way behind the scenes, uh, including personal issues that people have or, um, you know, uh, sorting out uh, conflict among players quietly and constructively and a whole range of things. This does occur. Uh, I would suggest how they largely the captain. I mean, it, on the ice during games, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, the, the leaders are the leaders, and uh, whether they have a, an A or an their chest doesn't really matter. But this team is changing, and the, the players who have been the young stars are not necessarily so young anymore. Enough already. It's time to demonstrate that you're leaders. So I think some of that is a challenge, and some of it is, uh, is reward. I think – Teams that win have a leadership group. It's not just the guy wearing the C. It's five, six, seven players, and they are the group, and everybody knows who they are in the dressing room and on the ice, whether they have an A on or whatever. I think what the captain is is the conduit to the rest of the players from the coaching staff usually, and I think his message goes to the captain and it goes to the players. I mean, the coach can talk. Uh, to the players, but sometimes if the player the captain also talks to the players, it resonates a little stronger than than it does with the with the coach. Also, uh, it helps to have a captain if you're thinking of making a trade. You can go to the captain and say, "What do you think about this player?" Uh, rather than have six guys in your team who are your leadership group asking, "What do you think about this player?" So, you know, the way the orders have worked, it is they always trade their captain eventually, anyway. So. Uh, every captain the owners have ever had got traded, and I think it's pretty much that way in most teams in the and National yet that Hockey League. captain was consulted before the trade, which yeah. is good. absolutely. <laughs> We're going to trade you. you except, have, where do you e- want to go? Except Wayne Gretzky was not consulted before he was uh, sold to the Los Angeles Kings. That's right. So other decisions that they've made, they've finalized their roster, they've sent some people down to the minors, goaltenders, Jim, I know you were watching that very closely. Uh, what do you think about the choices they've made in goal? Or or maybe just, yeah, tell us what the choices were, and if you want to throw in well, your thoughts on Cam it. Cam Talbot, I think when they traded three draft picks for him in June, uh, he was perceived right then and there as the starting goaltender. Uh, they weren't happy last year with Ben Scrivens and Victor Faust. Ben was coming back with a one-year contract, and they brought in Anders Nilsson to challenge Ben Scrivens. And he did. Uh, I didn't think Ben played poorly in the preseason, but Nilsson played better. So he kept his spot with the Oilers, and, and Scrivens was sent to the minors. And Talbot, as we all figured, would be given the ball and say, okay, now run with it. You've never been a starter before, but you played well in New York last year in relief of Henrik Lundqvist for a couple of months. Now you're 28 years old, so this is your time. You're either a starter or you're always going to be a backup. Now, the team he's playing behind is nowhere near as good as the New York Rangers defensively, so it's going to be a major test for Cam Talbot and goal, and I'm sure he'll find that. The Rangers blocked more shots than any team in the league last year, so I don't know if the Oilers will block quite that many shots in front of Cam Talbot. I agree that defense is probably something he's going to have a – it'll – be a shock for him. I don't know if shock's the right word. It'll be an interesting experience. John, you and I were talking about the choice to send Nikita Nikitin on waivers, you know, when that when that happened, uh, Dreisaitl going down as well. What do, you, what do you think about those choices? Well, Dreisaitl, to me, and Darnell Nurse, these are developmental choices. I mean, I think I really think those are fairly clear-cut choices. They, these players, they want to have them gain more experience and learn how to play their game at the professional level um, you know, the same kind of game that they had played in junior. It's difficult. The transition is not so easy. 
Um, and uh, I mean, Keaton, clearly, they, they, he's unsatisfactory. His play, they keep saying, well, he's an NHL defenseman, but we, we want him to work on some things. I think with him and Scrivens, particularly, Scrivens, they would have more luck than with Nikitin. They want somebody to take him off their hands at some point, but they have to play, and they have to actually have some kind of success in the minors. Otherwise, nobody's going to want them. So, I mean, th- these to me are just, uh, you know, they, they had to revamp. Look, this team's nine years out of the playoffs. Obviously, they need to change the lineup. They've got, I think, nine new players in, on their 23, uh, which is roughly 40% over or turnover which is exactly the right thing to do. The, the old gang was failing. Change the gang. Um, makes perfect sense to me. Jim, are there any other teams in the league that have players with these magnitude of contracts playing for their, their minor league teams? Philadelphia sent down Andrew McDonald, uh, who had a six-year contract <laughs> for $30 million. He's one year into the six-year contract, so he's owed $25 million. He's now playing... Uh, in the minors for Philadelphia. So okay. uh, he'll be the richest player, I'm sure, in the American League. I thought Nikitin was going to be at $4.5 million, but McDonald is $5 million, so he'll be more expensive. What was uh, um, Redden? What did he? $6 million. $6 million. He was, when, was Wade Redden was $6 million when the Rangers had him in the minors in Hartford. So it does happen. Are, it does okay. happen. It just hammers home that the general manager obviously convinced the owner that this player was going to be a swell player when he signed him. And uh, shortly after the signing, the owner's knocking on the general manager's door and saying, what are you talking about here? This guy can't play. And in Philadelphia's case, Paul Holmgren was the general manager when he made that deal. He's no longer the general manager. Uh, Ron Hextall is the general manager, and he doesn't like Andrew McDonald as much as Paul Holmgren did. So, <laughs> And you know, Ed Snyder, the owner, probably doesn't like either one of them, to be honest, for a $30 million <laughs> mistake. But... That's the way it works in the NHL. And in Nikitin's case, you're right, you're totally with John. He's not proven he's a National Hockey League player. I know the owners can say that, and I guess they want us to be the conduit and put that in the paper that he's an NHL player, hoping that other people read it. But we're not the people who are going to sway other teams. It's the scouts who come and watch him play nightly, and he hasn't played very well for the Oilers, and they're hoping he lights it up in the American League. I don't know how he's going to light it up in the American League, but... I'm sure they're hoping that or three injuries to defensemen around the league, and then they'll start phoning other teams. For right. the players who made the roster, any surprises on there for the people who are on the Oilers' NHL list? Slepeshev, Anton Slepeshev, uh, made it on Connor McDavid's line. Uh, Russian draft choice uh, from 2013, third-round draft choice. I don't think people thought he would step in right away, played in the KHL for a couple of years. Um, I think they felt he was a little farther advanced than Leon Dreisaitl, which is why Dreisaitl's in the minors, because they both could have gone to the minors. Neither one has to clear waivers, but and both are very young players. Um, you know, that's a plum assignment for Slepeshev playing with Connor McDavid, and everybody will be watching Connor McDavid, and maybe if he gets open and scores a couple of goals, he'll be very happy. It'll be his first NHL goal, too, if, if he scores and Connor McDavid doesn't. But, uh, yeah, he's the surprise to me uh, on the team making and, and it'll be interesting to see I mean people always make a big fuss second thing they make a big fuss about the captaincy and all that kind of stuff second the thing they make a big fuss about is the opening day lineup the opening day lineup might last two games mm-hmm. not even that who knows um, so that could change um, and we'll see it'd be wonderful if Slepeshev comes in and has a wonderful season I'd be surprised if he at some point doesn't go down 
because things change and people get injured or people don't perform well. The, the issue for him that I, uh, it's very clear and everybody has talked about it, is he's uh, just adjusting to North America. And it's not just learning how to communicate in English with his teammates and the coach, but living your life every day, being, going out, going to the grocery store. I mean, every single thing you do in a new, uh, I think we way underestimate how difficult that is for players from another culture. And I think it takes great courage to, especially for young ones. And he's 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 been around a little while, but it's hard. And uh, all of that can can kind of, you know, incrementally leak into your game. I would think. And we'll see. It, it, he has performed well, so he and he's he's played a couple of years pro, so he may be just ready to, you know, slide on in there uh, seamlessly and do well. That, he's that would he's be fortunate. He's got Yakupov here to speak to, <laughs> at other times during the day. And a fellow Russian. Now, it would be a little dicey if he would have been playing better than Yakupov. And Yakupov's trying to, you know, be his teacher, and he's playing better than Yakupov. You know, his role in the team is a little bit better. But right now they're about even, so, and they're both young players. And, and Yakupov, uh, that underscores the difference between Yakupov and Slepeshev. Yakupov came over to North America, played in the Ontario junior Hockey League as a junior, learned how to speak some English, living with Galchenyuk, who's now playing in Mont- Montreal, his family. And now his English, you know, nails is not too bad at all. Mm-hmm. Slepeshev spent all his time in Russia, and so he's behind the eight ball trying to, I agree totally with John. That I don't know how I'd be if somebody dumped me in Omsk in no, Siberia. My, my reporting in a Russian newspaper would probably be questionable for sure. It so. would be very, <laughs> very, very difficult, and I'd be very, very lonely if there was nobody else there to talk to. You mentioned the lineup, so I just want to review. So we know that Cam Talbot's going to be the starting goalie on Thursday night. Who? What are the other groupings at this point that we know about? Uh, well, Eric Greiba, a new player from Ottawa, they traded for his him too at the draft, and Griffin Reinhardt. They traded for him at the draft. He played for the Islanders, first-round draft. That will be one pairing, new pairing. On the defense line? On defense. And uh, Andre Sekera, they signed him to a six-year contract uh, this summer as a free agent. And he'll play with Mark Fain. So that's a new pairing. Fain was here last year. But, uh, so that's a new pairing on defense. Um, and the defense, you know, as we've alluded to, I think is the number one question with the Oilers, not their forwards. I think their forwards are probably in the top half in the league. And then their defense, you know, their goaltending, if Talbot plays as well as he did in New York, will be better. But the defense is still very much a question mark. And are the pucks in the Oilers end too long? I don't care how good Cam Talbot is. And I don't care how good the forwards are because they just give up too many scoring chances. And what's it's a, it's the number a, one line right now? Do what are the What's the grouping for the number one line forward? Uh, well, I guess if you count Ryan Nugent Hopkins as the number one center, it's Nugent Hopkins with... Benoit Pouliot on left wing, and Teddy Purcell on right wing. But I think everybody's we'll see, watching we'll see, for we'll Connor McDavid. Well McDavid <laughs> does against the St. Louis Blues, who have a history of beating people up physically. So that'll be a very stern test for the, him. The, th- sure. the thing about the Oilers' uh, challenge, in my opinion, this has been, and we'll see if this changes this year. This year they've got three on three overtime, but it's been a basically three to two league. It's been a five goal league. One gets you know, team gets three, and they win the game. And the other team does. It. So you can improve, actually, quite a bit and still not be winning. Right. Because as long as you have people who can make that one, they lost in Vancouver the other night, 3-2, to two, if I'm not mistaken, on a defensive mistake in three-on-three hockey. Which defensive mistake should not have been made? It, was, it wasn't like sort of, it was a fairly basic thing, just not covering your man. Um, 
So how quickly will they eradicate all that? Because that's not just the defensemen. That's the, that's the forwards also. I want to end on this. It's the beginning of the end of the Oilers playing at Rexall Place, their final season in this arena. We've got a, a package coming up in the Saturday edition of the paper that looks at some of the Rexall memories over the year. But I just wanted to ask each of you to close off the podcast. What would you say is your number one personal memory at Rexall Place? The night Wayne Gretzky scored five goals, get 50 goals in 39 games. That's the most exciting uh, night I can recall. And, uh, you know, could have had 10 goals that night, but he got five to get 550 and 39. Nobody else had got less, you know, 50 and 50 was the benchmark. What were you thinking when you saw that? Like, was it, it, it? I thought Wayne Gretzky was like he just dropped in from outer space or something because everybody else was having trouble scoring goals, but not him. And uh, that was the year he scored 92 goals in the season, almost got 100. So, pretty special night. Pretty special night, and you know, five goals. He did. He scored five goals on several occasions, but nothing like that. Nothing as dramatic as that. And John, how about how about yourself? What's your number one memory in that building? Game six of the Stanley Cup Finals in 2006, when the game was it was a four nothing victory for Edmonton, and they're heading back to Carolina for Game Seven. And way after the game was over, there were all these fans in the stands, and they were they didn't want to leave. And uh, Ethan Morrow, at the time the captain, I kind of at, at his best as a player, uh, he was out there with a suit on, and he had his wife and his kids, and they were basically having interaction with all these fans who just were delirious, and they, everybody thought they were going to go to Carolina and polish it off. And of course, it didn't happen, but. But that that was the that was the moment where the dream was still <laughs> still lit. The, the, yes, the, and uh, they got kind of snuffed out. But uh, that was the last sort of you know best chance they had to win the Stanley Cup, and uh, that that moment stays. With that them. was the last absolutely great game the Edmonton Oilers played when they beat them four nothing in Game Six <laughs> before going to Carolina and losing Game Seven. I can't remember the Oilers since 2006 being as dominant as they were in that game when the game meant everything and they just ran them out of the ran rink. them out of the rink. Hmm. Well, we will see if any memories from this coming season can possibly top any of those two, which are pretty good. Like I said, I'm expecting that package to run in Saturday's Insight section. It is the news business, so it's possible that something could change, but you you should be able to see that uh, online and in print on Saturday. Thank you, Jim and John, for joining me. And thanks to videographer Ryan Jackson, who is filming the podcast for us so that we can post some video clips from our conversation online. We hope to be back next week when we'll be able to give you an update on that road trip, the, the trip from hell, which maybe it will be rather pleasant. We'll find out. Jim and John and Joanne can give us an update. You can listen to previous episodes of the Journal's Oilers podcast on edmontonjournal.com or on the Sports SoundCloud feed. Just search EJ Sports. Thank you so much for listening.